0: Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions.
1: What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your
0: portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to
2: be a new IPO.
0: And provides unbiased answers.
2: I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers.
0: Invest Talk. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique.
2: Eight eight eight
3: ninety nine chart This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
2: Good afternoon, fellow investors. Welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 20th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Yes, Christmas is less than a week away, and that means the new year is not far behind. Only about seven trading days remain in the year, and there's a lot to accomplish, not just till the end of the year, but in developing your plan, your strategy. Uh, into 2022 and making sure that you are prepared for a different market. Uh, You might be getting a sense of that now that we've started to enter into a different phase of, I guess you can call it the bull market. There's different regimes entering 2022 very different than going into this year. Going into this year, you had a new president that was promising a package, a spending package, and that was passed relatively quickly. Well, going into 2022, there's still a spending package that is being discussed, but there's no guarantee is actually going to get passed, and we don't know the size of it either. And it's more spread out. So even if it is spread, even if it's passed, the impact will be more muted in the near term. And then you have fiscal policy, sorry, excuse me, monetary policy. Going into this year, the Fed was still in the QE, full bore, making sure that liquidity was there to stay and inflation was still relatively modest while we go into 2022 exact opposite inflation remains relatively high and likely to decelerate next year but you have a fed that is now more hawkish looking to tighten policy and has announced tightening policy through the first quarter of next year So that means you have to reassess your risk tolerance level. It's easy to take a lot of risk when markets are going up. You should take this last month or so and use that as a a bit of a litmus test. And if this has caused you a bit of heartburn or indigestion, well you probably need to de-risk your portfolio. The markets are, this this is modest volatility, very modest. And so going into next year, you have to be prepared for higher level of volatility and a different market regime, like I said at the top, value over growth. And that's why I'm here. Today, help you figure out your next step. Take that next step in your path towards financial freedom. And I'm going to do that with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So That's my assurance that no matter what I'm talking about on today's show, strategy, a stock, a sector, I am here to present it without bias. Just with the facts that I see in front of me. and my 20 plus years of investment experience. So I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show to however you want it to look like. I have my topics. I have my data points that I want to discuss. But most importantly, are your topics, your data points. So you can interact with me right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or you can leave a question on our Anytime Voice Bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's head to our first listener question now.
0: Hi, Andrew from Maine here. This is a question for Justin. I oftentimes hear you talk about your fair value for a equity for a stock. And I'm curious about the methodology through which you determine your fair value for individual securities. Thanks.
2: Well, that is a uh, a complex uh, t- a topic uh, that definitely couldn't be answered in on this show. We, even if we spent the entire hour, probably couldn't go over it completely. But uh, I will say that there are various ways, and w- we're not tied to one method. It's not one method. There's discounted cash flow mes- method, which is looking at future cash flows of the business, discounting them till today. There's Multiple multiples that you look at enterprise value to revenue, EBITDA, operating cash flow, etc. And looking at historically what it trades at, historically what type of growth the company has. So understand this there is no holy grail in value, you're never going to be 100% right. But you need to understand what ballpark you're working in. Understand the general direction that that value is. And then you can assess the risk versus reward based on the underlying economic condition. For example, we're heading into a time where Monetary policy is tighter. Money is more expensive. Inflation remains relatively high. And that is an environment where high multiple stocks tend to re-rate lower. So you, you should know that when you're looking at a lot of these high-flying tech names, now, granted, a lot of them have come back down to earth and, and are a lot closer to fair value. But know that many of these high multiple software stocks, tech stocks, they're trading at uh, 100 times, 50 times cash flows, earnings. And you have to put a reasonable valuation on them. Something that is in the realm of reality based on longer term growth projections so you have to use multiple factors like i said growth cash flow stability of the business cyclicality of the business all of these things have to come into account now we're heading into a break and i'm here now taking your calls live this is how you shape the show to your liking so call now this is invest talk at 888-99-CHART
0: The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I
1: have a question for you about Amazon. So
0: your questions keep coming. I have a question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance.
2: If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year.
0: No question is too simple.
2: I wanted to ask about Teladoc.
0: And each question is an important part of the podcast.
2: My wife has a roller
3: over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is
0: eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless.
2: That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell
0: your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Down the days, first Christmas and then New Year's. You may have completed your gift shopping, but you might still have unanswered finance and investment questions. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are on duty and ready to provide their unbiased answers. Call Invest Talk
2: 888 99 Chart. Let's go to James in Sonoma looking at Best Buy.
3: Yeah, the re- reason I called is uh, I know people have called before on this, and I called back in, you no, know, I know June or July, mm-hmm. and um, I was looking at it, toying with it, and then all of a sudden it started to spike up in late October, and now it's falling like a rock. I don't own it; it doesn't seem to have any. Uh, is this just all the pandemic? It seems like it has enough money to pay the dividend easily. Uh, I'm just wondering what what is going on here that I don't see.
2: Well, this is a perfect example of the type of stock that. Benefited from the pandemic, people bought a lot of electronic goods, a lot of physical goods to uh, supply their, their new homes that they moved into, their, their new home offices where they bought new computers and, and all of these things, right? And that is a big part of why we have supply chain issues and it, it good, a good lot of goods inflation is because of this strong demand. And then what you had was an earnings announcement in November and revenues were flat year over year where before during the pandemic, they were averaging for the four quarters before that uh, revenue in the 20% range and earnings in, for example, the the second quarter were up 74%. Last quarter earnings were up 1%. So there is a sharp deceleration in their business now part of this is base effects law of large numbers it's very difficult to continue with the same level of growth especially when you have such a large amount of sales like best buy does last quarter nearly 12 billion dollars in sales it's hard to consistently grow uh, dramatically now i'd have to also look at their earnings expectations or, or their guidance but for next year they're supposed to make Nine dollars and forty-five cents. That's down seven percent. So that's what you're getting here. You're re-rating lower, and it's maybe trending back to pre-pandemic levels. And they were making six dollars a share back then. Maybe they get back there. And that's maybe what the market is pricing in. So it has nothing to do with the dividend. They can afford the dividend. I, I think they're let's see, look at their coverage ratio. Uh yeah, cash to and pay ratio is 49%. So they have they have plenty of cash. They have cash on the balance sheet. So the dividend to me is, is definitely safe. The question is, where does this find support? Now, I will say it's getting there. Right around $90 a share. It's at 95 right now. That would be pretty good support for this name. Uh, Long term, I think Best Buy is uh, transformed its business to become pretty profitable. They're, they kind of sublease parts of their store and sell their traffic almost. And so uh, I I like that you have this on your watch list, but around 90 is where I would be stepping in. Maybe my first tranche, maybe not a ton, maybe not a full position there, but that's where the big support is currently. Now my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Four bad 401k mistakes to avoid when you quit your job. Before leaving your job for a better one, be aware of these 401k blunders, and I'll explain that next Cryptocurrency fees. A lot of people don't realize that buying and selling cryptocurrency can be very expensive. Uh, Fees vary depending on what cryptocurrency you're buying. Also, the traffic, the amount of trades within that network at any given time. So we're going to go over that so you understand if you're ever getting into the space, what type of fees you may be looking at. Then the future of ESG talked a lot about ESG and how there's not really a coherent way of classifying a company as as qualifying as ESG, but we're going to go into what that might look like over the next five to 10 years as more money continues to flow to that space and maybe being able to actually have a real impact. We're going to see what that could look like. And then lastly, could the labor shortages be abating? We're going to talk about why that might be, but ultimately, I want to talk what is on your mind. Eight eight nine nine chart 889-92-4278. nine two four two seven eight. Let's look at the market today. The S P was down fifty two points, a little over one percent. Definitely, definitely closed closer to the highs of the day, not not the highs, but off the lows. I'll say that. And you had a bit of a rotation. Let's see what what we had here. Growth was large-cap growth underperformed down about 1.4%. Large-cap value only down about 0.74%. So about half the, the loss there on the value side. Although small-cap value definitely was down. I think the, a lot of the weakness today was, this is to me the first day where I said, maybe the market is reacting to Omicron because it clearly is spreading pretty rapidly question is, what will governments do about it? And we'll see if they follow the case counts or the hospitalizations. I think that'll be a big factor in what happens with their reaction and the overall economy. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. This is and for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. And that's why I'm here to answer your questions. So give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine 99 chart
0: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline four bad 401k mistakes to avoid when you quit your job. Now, there has been an exodus called the Great Resignation in America. And it means that a lot of Americans are quitting their job and reevaluating what they want from their work life. Uh, Oftentimes, they're looking for a job that is completely remote. See all their friends doing it, working from home, working from wherever. And they want that flexibility, too. And so that's a big reason for the great resignation. Now, the vast majority of those that quit their job also have a 401k with their old employer. And a lot of people make mistakes with that old 401k. So let's go over that. The first one is leaving it behind. Not thinking about it. There's so many people that do this. I mean, we do. We we consolidate 401ks uh, pretty much every week. We're we're consolidating them into uh, an IRA. So you have multiple options. One is obviously leave it there, but it makes it difficult to manage, rebalance your portfolio, uh, etc. And you're stuck with those investment options at the whims of that old employer's changing of the the, the, the plan. Usually, the plan doesn't change. But the best option is to roll it into an IRA, opens you up to a lot more options, pretty much every investment option, as opposed to if you roll it into your new 401k, once again, you're going to be confined to that investment universe that your new 401k has. So rolling into an IRA is usually the best way to go. Now, one mistake you could make is if you accept a check and you wait too long. To put it into an IRA. You could be taxed. You have a 60-day window. That's why we always recommend and we help our client, our client do this, is have it sent directly to the broker. It means you open the IRA already. It's what we do, we send it a, a, a docusign application, they open the IRA, and then we have the their, their old 401k provider send a check directly to our broker, which is TD Ameritrade but you may open uh, your account somewhere else, an IRA somewhere else. But the best is to directly send it to that broker. That's mistake number one, leaving it behind. Number two is cashing it out too early. If you're under the age of 59 and a half, if you take that money out, you're subject to a 10% penalty and a mandatory 20% federal withholding. And you pay tax. Remember, that's income to you. And then you get the 10% penalty on top of that. So try not to do that unless you absolutely have to. Either roll it into an IRA or that new 401k. Mistake number three, not taking the free money, meaning your employer match. You sign up for a new employer and you're not really aware of how much they match. Make sure you get that full 100% match. I'll give you an example. A KPP, we match the first 100% of first 4%. And then 50% on the 5th and 6%. So what that means is, in order to get an employee to get the full match, they need to put in 6%. Otherwise, they're missing out on money. So make sure you know what your employer is matching. Stake number four, accepting the default 401k allocation. A lot of times that is a targeted fund based on your age, but it's probably not the ideal way to go. Now, it's probably better than a random mix, but if you do a little research, you understand your risk tolerance, you listen to the show, you're you're probably a bit versed in the investment markets. So build out a more diversified portfolio, hopefully. That fits your risk tolerance levels. And they may be different than what a target dated fund might offer. For example, if you're retiring in 15 years and you're in a targeted fund, that's going to be kind of a moderate allocation. But you may be more aggressive. Or maybe you're more conservative than that. So make sure that targeted fund matches up. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 8899 chart. Hey Stephen, Justin. I had a question
0: about OLN. I was
2: looking at this company for a little while now. Just want to see if you guys think it will be a good investment. I'd be listening on the podcast. Thanks. All right, looking at Olin Corp. This is a manufacturer of chloral alkali and small caliber ammunition products. Interesting. They have a, a mix of businesses. Three segments, it looks like. Yeah. Vinyls. They they generate the majority of the revenue selling chlorine and caustic soda, which are used in a variety of industries, cosmetics, textiles, crop protection, fire protection. Huh. Interesting. I like that it's a I like that it's a very salt of the earth type of business. Trading at nine times earnings. Revenue is accelerating. Repurchasing a billion dollars with a stock in the market. That's only 8.4 billion. Uh, they're cash flow positive. I like that. Uh, they certainly had a tough 2022, but who didn't? Uh, I, I actually kind of like this. I like OLN. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Now we're going into a break, and I'm here ready for your questions. So give me a call at 888 99 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. This is Invest Talk, the
0: radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called what are you waiting for the phone lines are open and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now call
1: 99 chart good afternoon my name is Sarah and I have a question about Amerisource Bergen corporation stock symbol ABC it seems to be at a you know a good price lately the PE is 16 which is much better than other health care companies. But I have a question about the return on equity. It shows here in the information that I'm looking at that and return on equity is negative 1,210%. I don't get that. I don't know what that is telling me. Everything else On the stock information, you know, it's rated a buy by Cifra, and I just don't understand what this is trying to tell me. Thanks, and I'll listen for the report on air as I always do. I love your show. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Appreciate the call. This is Amerisource Bergen. This is a distributor of branded and generic drugs, and it's kind of a a duopoly with the uh, let's see, what were the other big players? Uh, McKesson and uh, Ameri- uh, yeah, McKesson and Cardinal Health. Excuse me. So those are the three big players within this space. Together, they supply over ninety percent of the U.S. market of pharmaceuticals. So they distribute uh, their drugs to, say, Walgreens, for example, and uh, to talk about your return equity point. This is why it's very good to be looking at data over time. A snapshot, especially looking at the last 18 months or so, it's very difficult to get a sense of what a real, the, the business is, is really doing in normal times because so many businesses have been disrupted with COVID. Now, return equity is calculated in two ways. Looking at return on assets multiplied by the leverage. Now, this is has a decent amount of debt, so there is a good amount of leverage here. But when return on, return on assets turns negative, which it did in 2020, it was 8%, that's why you had this very negative return on equity number. Historically, return on assets uh, ranges from about 3 to 4%. And it's return on equity in the high teens, low 20s. It's definitely a bit volatile, Uh, but that's why you want to look at longer-term data sets and understand what the business tends to operate at from a profitability perspective. We like to look at least the last 10 years, preferably longer. Now, the biggest issue with Amerisource Bergen is drug prices. Historically, when drug price growth slows, well, the margins Slow for Amerisource broker. Remember, they're making a percentage of the sales price. And so that's really the, the biggest risk here. But I like the business. It's consistent. And it's not trading expensive. Its enterprise value EBIT is 10.5. Now, historically, if you go back over the last five years or so, that's near the low end of its range so i like that once again i am a bit worried uh, about drug prices longer term and that would affect them uh, and but technically this is strong the business cash flows are strong and so i'm going to give it a thumbs up overall now when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review on itunes we would like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly so here is a question from the puma 51 says, hi, Stephen Justin. I was wondering how the new infrastructure bill would affect ticker symbol CWN. Pull that up here. CWN, Clearwater Energy. I've held this for about a year and a half, and it makes up about 3% of my portfolio. Do you feel like this is a good long-term play? This owns, operates, and acquires contracted renewable and conventional generation thermal infrastructure assets. Hmm, I like that. I like that they're supposed to actually make a profit next year of $2.23. So, that's good. The chart, let me pull up the chart real quick. Charts definitely pulled back with the whole green energy space. Yeah, you look at the ticker symbol TAN, which is the solar ETF. It's always a good proxy for that. That's rolled over fairly hard. Now it's paying a 3.9% dividend. This is a complex one. I, you know, I, I want to know why this is a company that historically is teetered on profitability, lost money, supposed to lose money this year, lost money in 2019, made 22 cents in 2020. Good amount of debt, which is not uncommon for a company that has big infrastructure assets. There's money going towards in in the Build Back Better plan, if it does get passed, towards this type of thing, maybe that's part of the weakness. Now this is an electric. Ut- oh, okay, so it's a, it's a it's a utility company as well. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I I just like companies in this space that can operate effectively, that can operate with positive cash flow. Because there aren't many of them, frankly. And so I'm going to give this overall a thumbs up. Now, I don't like the chart rollover recently. It's giving me a bit of a pause, technically. But I like the general trend of cash flows. Cash from operations is an all-time high. So I'm going to give Clearwater Energy a thumbs up. Now, let's touch on crypto fees. Now, crypto was supposed to be... This seamless, frictionless way to transfer value across the internet. That's the idea of a decentralized platform like cryptocurrency. One of my big problems, though, with the space is that it has not lived up to that ethos as of yet. Now, certainly building some use cases... Oftentimes, those use cases are overblown. But that doesn't mean that there isn't some value being created there. But there's also been a lot of new investors as of late that think that just buying crypto is easy and it's cheap. Well, I got news for all of you. It typically is not very cheap. Now, what are crypto fees? Well, they're essentially processing fees built into the network that helps maintain the overall Bitcoin network or cryptocurrency network, whatever you're transacting it. And then there are third-party fees that exchanges charge as well, like Coinbase. Now, the network fees are incentives for those that are operating the nodes of the network to keep the network alive. But currently, one of the big ways that those people get paid are mining fees. You get fractions of Bitcoin, and there's obviously value in that. The issue is that those will eventually go away, and the network is supposed to operate completely on fees, like the Ethereum network today. Now the big question is, how much are fees? Well, that varies dramatically. Some are fractions of a penny. Others, like Dogecoin, up to $2.50 transaction. Now, on the Bitcoin network, the average daily transaction fee this year has been as low as dollar seventy-eight and as high as $62. On Ethereum, the average fee has been as low as $1.59 and as high as $70. Now, that can be higher, that can be low. If you're sending a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, paying 60 bucks, no big deal. Very small percentage of that value you're transferring. But if you're paying for, say, a cup of coffee, and you're paying two bucks, that's a high fee on $5, or whatever the coffee costs. Now, the spread varies depending on the network traffic. So in times when there's a lot of activity, the fees tend to be higher. The highest recorded fee on the Bitcoin network was in April. And that's when the market was very high. It was it was very strong. It was exploding. Trading was very heavy. And the networks, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it is, they're, they're bottlenecks. They can only transact so much per hour per day. Now, there are, they're working on improving that, sort of software upgrades, the Ethereum network, et cetera, and eventually lower the fees, but they won't go away. So the big question is, how fast can they advance the network and make it so these fees are minimal across the board? They're not there yet. Part of that's to do with blockchain bloat and trying to solve that, and I can go in the details. But the fees are not going away. Now, the apps charge fees as well. Remember that I just talked about the network fees. There are also fees for exchange, the third-party exchanges like Coinbase, Gemini, and Coinbase. The fees can total between three point nine nine to four point five percent. If you have a Bitcoin uh, ATM, charge between 7 and 20%. PayPal is planning to charge between, uh, between 50 cents and 2.3% in 2022. So all of this is evolving, but know that the end goal of frictionless, cheap ways to transfer value over the internet still remains elusive. And don't think that Buying or selling crypto today is cheap. Now, one day it may be, but definitely not today. Now let's swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from New York on 8899 chart.
1: Hello, this is Luke from New York, a longtime listener. I'm interested in Ticker Symbol
3: Path. Peter, Apple, Tom, Harry. It is a recent IPO. I think it IPO'd in May. It has fallen a lot from its all-time high. I wanted to know what you think about this company, if it
1: has been making money, and at what price should I be looking to get in? What is your evaluation of this company? Uh, we'll be waiting to hear your answer on the podcast. Thanks for you do.
2: All right, looking at UiPath, P-A-T-H is a symbol. They develop robotic process automation to eliminate the need for employees to execute manual and mundane tasks. Clearly an area that is... Growth area that is going to continue to get a lot of investment dollars, especially if we onshore a lot more manufacturing. A lot of that is going to be fueled by robotics, simply because the cost of labor here in the US is still relatively high, and it's going higher. Now, they IPO'd at a great time, but are down dramatically, down 53.9% from its 52-week high, and an IPO just back in May of this year. And it's basically been in a downtrend ever since. And the good thing is we're past, it looks like the lockup period. And that has accelerated the stock to the downside, as well as high multiple stocks coming in dramatically. Now this is a company that finally it's made money over the last year, a whopping nine cents a share over the last four quarters total. Revenues last quarter up 50 percent year over year, but it's still a 21.2 billion dollar market cap. Trading at 41 dollars a share on eight cents a share in earnings, it's a pretty high multiple, about 500. I don't see this. You know, I have to continue to see the the trend uh, in profitability and growth continue. And that's going to be a huge factor here, whether it's going to be able to grow into this valuation. I still wouldn't touch this. It's still trading at a crazy multiple, over 20 times sales. And when you're trading at over 20 times sales, it takes a monumental, monumental growth trajectory to grow into that level of valuation. And so I wouldn't touch this. An interesting name to keep on a watch list to monitor its growth or monitor its earnings trajectory. But the chart is horrendous and just the investing in the space is really hard right now. So I'm going to pass. Now let's squeeze in one more quick question here.
1: Hello, I would like to get your opinion on United Healthcare Group. The ticker symbol is
2: U-N-H. Thank you. All right, United Healthcare Group This is one of the largest insurers in the United States, and it has benefited greatly from Obamacare. It's really just been trending powerfully higher since then. But it is extremely expensive. Our value is down around $300 a share. It's at uh, nearly $500 today, $483 a share. And I, I worry about the trajectory of this space there's more and more momentum for a single-payer healthcare plan or at least a government option right where you kind of like medicare medicare for all where you can opt you you have a basic layer of insurance and then you can pay for supplemental on top of that and united health would certainly be part of that but that would cut out a lot of their business And so, based on the valuation, based on the risks in legislation, uh, I'm not a fan of this right now. This is the best talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here: help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So, if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at eight 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 ninety nine shark.
0: down the days. New Year's Eve will be here soon. 2021 will be in the record books as we start a new year. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART.
2: For Dr. George in Washington State looking at BHP. Well, hi. I'm I'm actually kind of trying to make a decision between investing in commodities and it's between uh, Mueller Industries, which is MLI, and versus BHP. Which one is better option? What was the first one? Uh,
3: first one is MLI, Mueller Industries. So it's okay. ML,
2: MLI, and yep. the second one is BHP. Uh, I'm definitely going to go with Mueller. Uh, there's They make copper tubing fitting brass copper alloys for HVAC refrigeration and plumbing markets i like that type of business uh, i think that is going to continue to be in demand their profitability is more consistent long term and uh, you know that they have a more of a value add type of business remember bhp any any miner they're just digging it out of the ground and i rather own a business that is actually producing an end product and servicing important parts of the economy, and nothing's more important than uh, maintaining our, our pipes and and, and our systems to, uh, to keep keep water flowing, keep air conditioning flowing, uh, etc. And if you look at Mueller's profitability longer term, it's averaged in the the high teens. I like that. That's a, a nice, strong, consistent business. Good cash flow. Uh, much smaller than BHP, but their profitability is a lot less volatile. So, do definitely two different type of companies. I wouldn't say Mueller is commodities. I would call that an industrial name. Uh, and I'd rather go with Mueller. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on... ESG This is a hot area of the market and over the past 6 months 3.9 trillion dollars has been invested as of the end of September. And the number of sustainable funds as defined by Morningstar jumped from 51% in or dropped by more than 51% in the third quarter to 7486 different funds. It's wild. It's a lot of funds Focused on quote ESG, especially when there's no unified understanding and criteria of what is ESG. Now, the SEC is considering whether to require fund managers to disclose the criteria and the data they use to apply these labels, such as green, low carbon, sustainable, ESG, etc. And so the question is, how is this going to evolve? And how is the industry going to be more transparent? And how is our regulators going to make it harder for companies and funds to greenwash by misleading investors? Well, I think the first thing is to separate out ESG. Remember, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Well, how many companies in the marketplace today do you think check all of those boxes? Every single one that are environmentally sound, that have good social governance practices, or, yeah, social practices, and then good governance I would say none. I would strongly argue that no public company sufficiently checks all of those boxes. Just think of Tesla, for example. Now, a lot, probably justifiably, would argue, well, from an environmental standpoint, they're advancing cleaner technologies. Sure. But from a governance standpoint, looking at uh. Elon's actions online and his his, 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 uh, his fines, the SEC, and the board not really doing a whole lot to kind of rein him in, you can't say governance is checked. So the first thing I think needs to happen is separate these criterias out, and then each individual can kind of invest in the type of companies that they like. Maybe you don't care about the governance, you just want to focus on the e. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, now over 37 million. Thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
3: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.